weeknights from 6 on 2FM. Well, a big thanks to the two Johnnies in Africa for driving us through the afternoon. It is Monday, November 20th, and you are listening to Game On with me, Shane Dawson, alongside Ruby Walsh. Coming up between now and 7pm, Alan Colley and Stephen Kelly join us to look ahead at what is likely to be Stephen Kenny's final match in charge of the Republic of Ireland and plenty more besides in the world of football. Fresh from his All-Star Award on Friday night, Galway's Conor Whelan joins us to chat. Hurling and Michael Corcoran wraps up the weekend's URC action. As always, if you want to have your say, you can text us on 51552. Game on on 2FM. Good evening, Ruby Walsh. How are you, sir? I'm great, Shane. Yourself? I'm very well. I'm very well. At Town were good yesterday, weren't they? At were very good. A dramatic victory. It was uh, scenes, as they say, in Tallis Stadium. Yeah, Absolute I was watching scenes. it in the car on the way back to Birmingham Airport yesterday from Cheltenham. Penalty shootout. You know, it was. It was brilliant. Shouting for Athlone Town. So yeah. I'll see a Shells fan tomorrow. <laughs> no, I'm genuinely I'm delighted for Athlone Town as well. It is good to see uh, first ever women's FEI Cup win. 99 years on since the men's team won the FEI Cup uh, for the one and only time as well so they enjoyed their celebrations they saw it alone tweeting that the cup was being brought over the bridge at 8pm and I'm sure there's a, a Monday club as they unless that's just a GA thing the Monday club celebrating a county title celebrating a, an FAI cup win I'm sure they are I'm um, sure they are so yeah we will be speaking of which actually we will be revealing the PFA Ireland um, League of Ireland Women's Team of the Year and indeed Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year on tomorrow's show Ruby so do tune in we will be uh, revealing the nominees uh, for Player of the Year and Young Player of the Year I'm kind of hoping I'd be revealing them with, it, with you oh yeah we will we I said we you didn't. You Did said I? tune in. You were telling me tune, to tune in. I was tune like, in. I'll be sitting here like, I'm doing this with you. Like. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm speaking to our listeners, Ruby. You know, this isn't a private <laughs> conversation in the, the comforts of our, of our sitting room. Um, but yeah, we, myself and Ruby, the Game On team, the Royal We, will be uh, revealing those nominees. Um, this question is for you, not for our listeners, Ruby. So this is pointed directly at you. Um, we are going to review... Uh, the racing from the weekend so uh, there was plenty of highlights in Navan and Cheltenham uh, and plenty of highlights elsewhere as well but let us begin with Navan, Fasol Vega, Bob Ollinger, Captain Guinness lots of highlights what stood out for you Ruby? Yeah great racing there on Saturday Shane the Liz Mullen hurdle was great to see Bob Ollinger get his head back in front and he brought up a, or it was the first leg of a good double for Henry the Black Henry the Bromhead and Rachel Blackmore very sorry to both of them uh, when Captain Guinness won the 4-3 shortly after um, a good display from him as well Fasal Viga made a pretty pleasing I'd say not uh, nothing extraordinary in what he did on Saturday in a beginner's chase um, but it was a good start to his novice season on Saturday afternoon Sunday was all about the 4-3 chase and that went away at Coco Beach for Gordon Elliott and Daddy Gilligan he battled well to win the Tritown even not the 4-3 which was Saturday um, I was in Cheltenham some good performances there as well stage star was really good in the Paddy Powergoyle Cup on Saturday he made a horrendous mistake at the last fence and managed to stay on his feet and Harry Cobden stayed on his back and he powered away to win that race really impressively and kind of proved himself to be a good bit of better horse than I thought he was Shane um, yesterday afternoon I thought John Bond was really good in the Schlur chase Nico de Bonville was on him because Aidan Coleman was suspended but I thought he put up a really good performance and um, he's gone long odds on to win a Tingle Creek but um, you know, he set up a big clash down the line for himself with El Fabiola maybe in the Queen Mother Champion chase but it was it was good racing across the three days at Cheltenham and the two days at Navin and it looked to be great crowds in Navin as well um, over the weekend so that was a big plus for them with their first big weekend um, At Navin, Dennis O'Regan 
confirmed his retirement um, and not long after making history becoming the, the first jockey to ride in every jumps race course in, in Britain and Ireland. Right, a winner at the mall, yeah. He kept having to go back to Hereford, fair play to him for, for trying it. Um, <laughs> not a bad spot now, Hereford, but... Uh, Persistence. Persistence, Persistence yeah. yeah. But that's a fair achievement. I mean, you need to go from Park to Newton, Abbott, down Patrick to Killarney. Uh, that's a lot of miles and a lot of race courses. And obviously, best known for his association with English Driver. He had a great time in the north of England with Howard Johnson. Um, I remember him here when he started as an amateur with, with Francis Flood. But uh, he, had a, he had a great career and he was a pure natural on a horse. Okay, so that is our review uh, done as Alan Colley walks into the studio during our racing chat. Alan Colley. Do, 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 the racing shit. Do you want to get involved? Yes, absolutely. So I, I was watching all the race and we, I love the race. We, we've just done our review of Navin and, and Cheltenham. Is there anything you'd like to add? Would you like to uh, second guess Ruby on any of his highlights? No, no, no. I'm very happy and obviously Gordon Elliott's got off to an absolute flyer yeah. at the start of the season and I'm just wondering, what about Willie? What about Willie? Punches down this weekend, Al. Punches down okay. this weekend. I know it's all about timing and it's only early in the season and it's a marathon, not a sprint, but just a few of the ones I was watching over the weekend and last week I was thinking, hmm, it's a bit slow slow start. Have you just come in to just lob, lob an ice grenade? Well, in Ruby here? loves lobbing them at yeah. me, so I'm going to lob one back at him. No, there's no rush. There's no rush. Punchestown, although Alan is right, Punchestown would have been last weekend traditionally, but it's been moved to next weekend to combine the Morgiana Hurdle and John Durkin cards together, so they're Saturday and Sunday. So whilst Willie would have started traditionally at last weekend's Morgiana, um, expect them to hit and another gear this weekend Al I wouldn't okay. be too worried just yet and that's good to hear because I love Willie yeah. and as much as I love Aidan O'Brien the two of them are my favourites but I think it's brilliant to see Gordon get off to a good start obviously Henry de Bromhead get back into form as well with a couple of good winners over the weekend as well so it's been a good start the national hunt is where it's at I love it are, are you okay now? Your your nerves are okay. I'm happy now. now. Yeah, I was You're just okay? wondering yeah. was everything okay down the class Sutton, but like I'm happy now. The, the wheels are still on the bike. Not <laughs> <laughs> like Spurs. Close Sutton is just getting going. Morgiana this weekend, Saturday, either uh, in Perry Pass or State Man will line up there. Biggest opposition will come from Gordon Elliott, I'd imagine, with Irish Pointer, Pied Piper. And then Sunday, of course, is the John Durkin chase, the return of the Gold Cup winner, Gallop and the Champ, where he'll probably face his Punchestown conqueror, faster slow of Martin. Brazzles, but uh, either way, it'll be good racing and it'll lead us swimmingly towards Christmas. Absolutely, mm. the winter festivals continue. And um, there's racing in Haydock as well this weekend. Yeah, Haydock Bedfair Chase the weekend. A uh, huge, big pot, big card protector that goes back to defend his crown. But yesterday at Cheltenham, Paul Nichols announced that Brave Man's Game will go there after his defeat in the Charlie Hall. So Brave Man Games goes there. They Daryl Jacob rides him. Uh, Harry Cogdam is going to Ascot for a full book of rides for Paul Nichols down there. But Harry takes over on Brave Man's Game. So Daryl Jacob riding at Haydock. So if you were still riding for Paul Nichols. Where would you be riding or where would you want to be riding, Ruby? I'm not party anymore to the politics of it, but I would have been strongly suggesting that I was going to Haydock. Haydock is the biggest race and that's where I would have been or would have wanted to have been going and I probably would have been, yeah, I'd have been going to Haydock to ride Brave Man's Game. There's only one grade one on, that's the Betfair Chase, so mm. um, I'd be leaving the grade twos at Ascot to somebody else myself, but look, doctors different, patients die. Oh, fair enough, fair enough. It's interesting enough. that dynamic, yeah, because... Harry Cobden, yeah, who I'm a big fan as well. But that is very interesting to hear that. I, was, I wasn't I was sure about that, Ruby, myself. So to see Daryl Jacob go and ride him in the group one, mm. yeah. Be interesting. We have a text in here. Ask Ruby, 
will he be watching I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here when a famous jockey is going to be going into the jungle? Now I'm asking this blind because I've no idea. Do you know? Yeah, Frankie, isn't it? Frankie? Is Frankie going to the jungle? I think Frankie's going into the jungle, yeah. And uh, that won't entice me to watch it, no. I'm afraid I have better things I, to do with my life. I, 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 was, I thought it might be you, players. Ruby. I, 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 I was like, oh my God, are we going to be stuck here in a Monday? Shane, you have to have a personality for that. Is there any reality TV you would do, Ruby? <laughs> me? Dancing no. with the stars? No. Dancing on ice? No. I watched the jungle last night. Frankie's milking it now. If he's gone into the jungle as well after the season he's had and to keep us all stringing along and then he announces he's not retiring and now he's gone into the jungle. I'm getting fed up with Frankie now. <laughs> We've would you do the attention. jungle, Al, would you? I wouldn't do the jungle, no. I'd what, struggle what reality with show would you do? Dancing. That, which dance with Anything the stars? dancing I'll do. Is this come, not, come Get Me game on? No, no, <laughs> no. But um, no, I'd struggle in the jungle. The, couple of the ones last night where they were standing, that first challenge where you're basically 100 feet in the sky and you have to go out and get the star on the edge of the pole. Oh, it started? Oh, my God. Oh, I and, and then the challenges inside where, like, anything with I rats. I can't believe and, on a sports show we were talking about. I know, there you go. Well, call it. something jungle. I'm get a celebrity, get me out of here. Yeah. Well, God. listen, never say never, Ruby. Shane, Shane, moving on now. Moving on now. Right, we're going to be chatting rugby in 20 seconds' time. Game on. Rugby. Welcome back to Game On. We're going to switch our attention to the United Rugby Championships for all four Irish provinces. We're in action at the weekend. Michael Corcoran joins us on the line. We could start anywhere and anywhere, but I think we're going to go far away, Michael, and start first with the away win in the... Is it the Southern Hemisphere, South Africa? It is, Northern Hemisphere. It is. Southern Hemisphere. For Connacht, who dug out a win over the Sharks, 13-12. Good win for them on the road, even if the Sharks are struggling. Sharks are struggling. That's the uh, that's the bottom line, Ruby. But you know, to be fair to Connacht, they're playing really, really well this season. New coaching staff there, a lot of confidence there. Um, JJ Hanron again, central to what they did. Three kicks out of three. That's now four wins out of five for Connacht. Um, for, for any team to win in in South Africa is a really, really big win. Um, and for Connacht to do so against a team like the Sharks, yes, they're missing. You know, a, a few, a fair number of their uh, of their South African players, but you still have got to go there and you still got to win the game. But it's supposed to, it's a matter in which they won the match. Uh, they fell behind Connacht, that is, um, in the second half. But JJ Hannon kicked a penalty when it was when it was needed most, and they did what they had to do. It's a terrific win for them, as I said. It's four wins out of five. Uh, they played the Bulls next next weekend, which is an entirely different proposition. But the Sharks are. Are poor. Um, that's that's the reality about it. But that doesn't matter to Connacht. They've uh, they've claimed another victory, and they're they're really well well positioned in the uh, the league table now. It is a new cycle. World Cup is over. Six Nations is coming. Andy Farrell has some decisions to make. Maybe not. Maybe they're already made when you look at the World Cup squad that he had. But is JJ Hanron starting to play himself into Andy Farrell's peripheral vision? Even I would say he's on the perif- peripheral vision. Yeah, I mean. He's been there for a while. He's a very experienced player. Um, his goal kicking, his place kicking is is terrific. And I think that the more games that he plays, the more games that he starts and plays, the more his confidence rises. It's the same with, with any player. And they have a really exciting backline still without Bundyaki or Mac Hansen. Um, and you have players like Cahill Ford, Tom Farrell, people like that. Baron Ralston, Tiernan O'Halloran, new lease life for him at, um, at, at fullback. And JJ Hanneran is is pulling the strings really, you know, alongside one of two uh, scrum halves. So, I mean, he won't he won't be, he won't be that far away in terms of 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 thinking. I'm not sure that he's actually going to sort of make it inside the 
inner circle, if I, if I can call it that, um, you know, when it comes to things like the uh, the Six Nations Championship. But he's not that far away. But he's done everything he can. He just missed one kick at goal throughout the season so far. And uh, that's a consistency that Connacht haven't had off the place to uh, tee, whether it be from conversions or penalties over the last number of years. He's bringing them that consistency, and that's reflected in the number of games that they've won. Is he the first choice out half now at Connacht? I think he is. Um, and I think, I think, you know, I mean, he's taken advantage of the fact that Jack Carthy was missing in the earlier uh, part of the season. Um, it's a kind of difficult one for them because Jack Carthy is the club captain. Uh, Jay Johanrahan is a really good prospect, um, enticing prospect for them at out half. Uh, right now, as of now, as of the number of games they've played, I think he's the form out half and he he deserves to start. Um, but I think they're fortunate in the sense they have somebody in the, of, of the quality of an international uh, player like Jack Carthy there to, to come in one required, I'm sure, that uh, JJ may have a, a, a patch where things may not go well for him. And, and they've got Jack Carthy to, to step in. So I think it's it's up to the two of them to to uh, to, to, to drive each other on. Uh, but right now, at the moment, I think JJ Hanner is the man in possession of that number 10 jersey. Can Connacht keep up these performances on a, on a consistent basis, Michael? They will have to. As I said, we've got the Bulls this coming weekend. Um, and then they have Leinster at home the following week. Uh, they're the kind of matches you need to be rubbing shoulders with teams at the top table and beating teams like that. Uh, they've always played pretty exciting rugby. They haven't always, in the last year or two, ground out results are, you know, if they've fallen behind, they've tended to stay behind. Um, I think the new surface at, um, at the sports ground helps them. Um, you know, and the fact that they had their, their first uh, three matches at home helps them in terms of what they're trying to do and builds builds a lot of confidence. We know that winning breeds confidence and um, they're a team who, I mean, they're fourth in the table uh, right now and they fully deserve um, to be there. Two massive games for them coming up. Bulls, as I said, uh, the second game in South Africa and Leinster the uh, the week after. Uh, let's let's see where, where, not just Connacht, but let's see where everybody is after the next two rounds of the competition before we head into Europe. It is interesting, though. I mean, there's 16 teams in the URC, six of the Irish, the four Irish represent six of the top positions, so they are going quite well. And Leinster fairly flexed their muscles at the weekend. Now, I know when you looked at the team sheet, all the names are back. Hugo Keenan, Jimmy O'Brien, Gary Ringrose. That's just across the backs, Jemison Gibson Park. But like when they put one of their A teams out, they are pretty good to watch. Yeah, um, and it was good to see Sam Prendergast uh, making a start for Leinster, um, sort of um, cotton wool or cotton balled, if you like, really, in the midst of all those season internationals around the place. Uh, it was good to see him start. I thought he did quite well. There were some things I'm sure that he will say that he'll kind of wonder whether he made the right decision or otherwise, but we're only going to see how good Sam Prendergast is, a, a star at under-20 level for a couple of seasons, see how good he is when he when he plays at, at, at senior level. It's a huge learning experience for him. Um, and it's 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 good for Leo Cullen and Linster. I mean, 54 points to five. I just kind of wonder about um, about the Welsh teams this year. They've had a cut in budgets. There's a cut in quality in terms of the teams that they're putting out. Uh, but you're right. I mean, here, Leinster without shooting the lights out. I mean, Leo has been complaining for the last number of weeks that he's not happy with the consistency of their level of performance. And you look at the table today, and there's a very familiar name. It's Leinster. It's up at the top of the table, so they're there without. I'm not saying much of an effort, but without, 
doing really well. Um, and um, I mean, that's 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 kind of slightly alarming for uh, for everybody else. There is a sort of inevitability when Leinster plays with respect teams like the Scarlets as well, particularly when you have the internationals back. And it's been going on in the URC at the Pro 14 or whatever whatever the competition has been called over the past few years when these teams play in the RDS that oh, it's going to be a handy one. So how will that set them up then for a clash like this weekend with, with the current champions and Interpro under lights on, on Lansdowne Road? One of the problems that Leinster have had over the last couple of years, uh, particularly before the United Rugby Championship was ramped up with the, the stronger South African teams being being there, was that you know Leinster went through the season, um, you know, in the, in the URC, maybe in Europe to a lesser degree, um, you know, maybe maybe not fielding the strongest team every week, but they almost went through a season unbeaten. Yet when they came to the knockout stages of the competition. Uh, they were caught and they were caught by teams who played them in a certain way physical teams like La Rochelle Saracens teams like that so we've seen we've seen this before uh, we've seen where you know we've seen them at the, at the top end of a, of a table before but at the, at the bottom end of the, the season is when they hand out the silverware not now um, so I mean it'll be interesting to see you know the effect that uh, from a coaching point of view that Jacques Nienarber will have when he comes in uh, but it's a massive game. I mean, Leinster-Munster uh, at any stage of the season is a massive game. Um, you'd kind of say for, for for some teams or for some players it'll be game game six. For some players it'll be game one or two. So there's a kind of a, a disparity there in terms of um, of people who are match sharp and, 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 and who are not. So Leinster-Munster is always a big game. Um, in, in It was a big game in name for a period of time when Leinster had the upper hand, but then Munster had the had um, the temerity to sort of smack them in the face last year in the knockout stages of the URC, and Leinster will still be smarting. I mean, Munster are the team who won silverware last. We must remember that uh, Leinster didn't, and they didn't. You know, they didn't do it in the in the um, um, Euro, or the uh, Champions Cup uh, final either for the last two seasons. So they'll be they'll be smarting from those things and they'll be hoping that they can get everybody up and running and playing well on the basis of last Saturday they're in good form but I wouldn't be reading too much into the way the Scarlets are Munster difficult one for them uh, last weekend against the Stormers um, it, it, a real arm wrestle old fashioned arm wrestle in uh, in Thoman Park but they have injury problems of their own this week with um, Peter Romani uh, with a shoulder problem Jack O'Donoghue with an ankle problem um, if the two of them are missing, that spells a bit of trouble for Munster. Now, Jean Klein uh, is expected to be back after um, his uh, his trip to France for the Rugby World Cup with um, South Africa. So I would imagine if he's fit, he'll come into the starting team. But if Omani is missing and I don't know who are missing, I know there are other younger players to come through, um, but that would give an advantage, I think, to Leinster. Edwin de Dogbo should be mentioned as having, um, as having a tremendous season for Munster so far, but... Uh, it's a, it's a big step up for both teams uh, compared to what we've seen in the last couple of weeks. It is, and Munster, like, the only try they got at the weekend, Corky, was when the Stormers had somebody in the bin. I mean, they're going to have to ramp it up a gear or two for Leinster. Oh, without a shadow of a doubt, yeah. And, I mean, they had the same problem um, against Ulster uh, the previous week, Ruby. I was at the game in Belfast. Um, yeah. And they raced into a very early lead. Uh, two early tries, Craig Casey, and you thought, "Gee, this is uh, this is uh, looking kind of sweet from a monster point of view." But uh, you know, they kind of fell apart after that. They were taken apart in the scrum, and that's the one area, or that's one of the areas that will be uh, key this weekend. 
they were they were under severe pressure from the Stormers, who have a pretty good scrum, but. You have a, a Leinster, um, a Leinster potential Leinster front row that, if Tyke Furlong plays, I'm not sure what his fitness status is, but if he plays, you could have an Ireland front row up against um, up against a, a Munster team this week who struggled against the Stormers last week. And if there's a if there's a, a, a sort of a good in, if I can call it that, into the match from a Leinster point of view, it certainly is up against Munster at uh, scrum time. Their lineup wasn't brilliant um, against. Um, against Ulster a couple of weeks ago uh, and wasn't um, outstanding either last weekend against the Stormers and without Peter O'Mahony and Jack O'Donoghue uh, I'm, I'm just um, struggling to see how they can be competitive this weekend You mentioned the front row um, Michael and Munster's new signing Oli Yeager is set to arrive at the province this week it was thought that his contract wasn't going to start until December Graeme Rowntree said mm. that he hasn't ruled out the possibility of the prop making his uh, debut on Saturday I think he quipped that uh, it depends on whether he was flying business class or not for that extra comfort but w- what will he bring to Munster Rugby when he does make his debut? Well he's got to be fit first I mean I don't know when the last time he played a match was uh, Shane um, I mean he may be in the country uh, this week but I, I don't know when the last time he played was I don't know what his, his level of fitness is I mean he's uh, I, I've seen him I've seen him play for the Crusaders for the last number of years uh, you know when he came on the kind of radar of an Irish fella down in that part of the world trying to prove that he was good enough to play for the All Blacks I mean if you can if you can survive in a Crusaders um, set up in, in Christchurch they know their rugby quite well down there you know whether whether it's uh you know whether it's it's Rob Penny or Scott Robinson or people who've gone before him like that uh, they know what they're talking about when it comes to rugby so if they rated this fella and thought uh, that he was good enough to play in their environment well that's good enough as far as I'm concerned I mean just in terms of his his stats he's a big he's a big as they would say he's a big unit um, I think he's about 6 foot 4 and he's 20 stone or something kind of like that I, I would compare that to uh, say the likes of uh, John Hayes when he played before um, now I thankfully never had to scrummage against John Hayes but I did manage <laughs> to stand in front of him on a number of occasions for to interview him so that's he's a big unit and if Ali Hager is that size well he's big also so when he's match fit he'll bring a lot to Munster in terms of um, in terms of their scrum whether it's going to be this weekend or not who knows what's going to happen Is it inevitable he's going to end up in a green jersey or too early to tell? I wouldn't say inevitable I'd say he certainly puts his hand up for selection I mean I'm sure Finlay Bealham will have something to say about that I'm sure Tom O'Toole up in um, up in Belfast will be the same. Tom Clarkson, another Ulster or another uh, Leinster player. Um, you know they, they they'll be they'll feel that um, there is a bit of a uh, there is wait uh, there is room on the waiting list behind them. Um, Tyke Furlong. So at, at this stage, I'd say there's a strong chance he could end up in an Ireland shirt. Uh, but he's got to he's got to prove that he's good enough to do so. You're not just going to kind of walk in and and take the shirt from say the likes of Finlay Bealham or Tom O'Toole who've been there for a period of time. No, I wouldn't think he is. But competition is definitely a healthy thing to have. Ulster overran the lines eventually in the north of the weekend. Michael, their second half performance was a good bit better than their first half performance. Will they rue not getting a bonus point though? They could very well. There's a very important words of use there, uh, Ruby. That was eventually because it did take him a long period of time. Uh, the one thing is, uh, one of the things that, that, that impresses me and has impressed me the last couple of weeks is the return to form of Jacob Stockdale on the score treat again, on the score sheet again at the weekend. Uh, he was very good against Munster the week before. And to see him scoring a try and playing with confidence is a really good thing. And it's like almost, um, certainly you're talking about you know, the, the Ireland scenario, uh, having a fully confident and fit 
uh, and a brace of Jacob Stockdale is like almost having a new player that's the reality there um, so good to see him score uh, yes they were under under. I, I think they may have taken the lines a little bit for granted after the uh, manner of their win against uh, Ulster's uh, win uh, the previous week against Munster they might have kind of been almost caught slightly in terms of I'm not saying overconfident but I'm not sure that they were as fully wound up for the Lions game as they were for the Munster match the week before Uh there's huge healthy we, we're talking about competition uh, Tom Stewart at Hooker up against Rob Herring and Rob Herring is certainly making it very very difficult for the younger man and he's on the score sheet again at the weekend but uh, a lot of Ulster people will be really will be really pleased that Dave Ewers the player that they signed from Exeter Chiefs um, over the course of the summer uh, is now beginning to show a, a, a bit of form he was very very good for Exeter over the last number of seasons I was very impressed with him at European level and in the English Premiership and the fact that he you know, he signed for Ulster probably has taken him a little bit of time to, to find his feet but um, he got mad in the match over the course of the uh, game and it was good to see him show, uh, show pretty good form in Belfast. It most certainly was. It was an entertaining game. Eventually they did get there. Big games next again, Michael, Leinster and Munster of course and Connacht would still be away. So... Plenty of action this weekend as well. Yeah, and you've also away to, to Glasgow, so you know you've uh, some pretty decent matches at the at the top end of the table. But that's what it's all about. Keep the fingers crossed. The uh, the winning run. Interesting that none of the South African teams won over the course of the weekend. So it'll be interesting to see what their uh, bite back will be uh, over the next couple of weekends. Great stuff, Michael Corcoran. For now, thank you very much for taking the call. Lots more to come here on Game On. Do stay with us. Game On. Hurling. Now, the help of my fader was up. The All-Stars took place this uh, weekend, this this previous weekend, and the hurling All-Stars were announced. And Galway's Conor Whelan was selected at corner forward for his second All-Star award. He was the only Galway player selected on a team that includes seven Limerick players, five from Galway and two from Clare. And I'm delighted to say that Conor Whelan joins us now. So, Conor, first and foremost, many congratulations um, on receiving uh, the All-Star award. What was the overriding emotion receiving it? How's it going, guys? Um, yeah, look at obviously. I suppose any time you're you're chosen uh, for something like that, I suppose you're you're obviously very very proud. And um, yeah, look at it's um, obviously as a collective, you you set out at the start of the year to to be successful and and to win trophies. And unfortunately, as a group, I suppose we didn't quite achieve that. But um, yeah, I suppose looking back on reflection, I suppose just I suppose very very privileged. I suppose to be chosen in the the top 15 for the year I suppose uh, Look there's no doubt obviously as a collective what you set out to do as a team but All-Stars are individual awards whatever way you look at it and it must be nice in a team sport to sit down at a function that looked good fun with so many opposition and have a night out Yeah yeah look it's true there's no there's no disputing that I suppose it's just when you play as part of a team I suppose there's there's other players that I suppose help you an awful lot I suppose I play as an inside forward so I'm very reliant on the likes of Cahill Mannion and Thomas Mullen and different lads out there to be su- supplying me with the ball I suppose really so I think obviously when you when you receive one of those awards it's obviously you know from an individual perspective it's it's a massive thing but I think you know just I suppose um, I suppose complimenting the boys as well who, who are I suppose helping out as well and supplying you with service as well and yeah look at it it's, it's obviously a very very special night out having family and friends there as well and meeting lads from from other teams as well one of them being my second cousin Shane O'Donnell so yeah it was you know all all his family were there as well so it was 
it was a nice occasion, yeah. With the background you have professionally, is modesty an Irish thing, a sports person's thing? It's probably, I suppose, Irish people like in sports people how modest they are. You're going to deflect the praise everywhere. But with the background you have, the degrees you have, have you ever figured out a reason for that? <laughs> um, I'm not so sure. <laughs> I wasn't expecting some sort of question like that, but um, ah, look at I suppose, yeah, I, I think look at it's obviously something that's always been part of the GA culture, and I think even Irish culture, I suppose, even you know, I've I've done a fair bit of travelling in my time, and I think, um, you know, you go to other countries, and I suppose they they kind of show off their, I suppose, flaunt what they have and stuff like that, and it just seems to be part of Irish culture that. Uh, that we do our best to stay to stay as modest as possible, and if somebody is even, um, I suppose, moving moving above the above the landscape, I think they probably don't be long coming back down to earth. I suppose really, so that's definitely part and parcel of the of the GA, and I for sure. Just for background for for our listeners who mightn't be aware, so it's a, a PhD on mental health and well being, and a master's in psychology. That's I'm right in saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. an, and an inter-county hurler and an Ulster. <laughs> it was the PhD in psychology I was getting into, really. I mean, you get into someone's mind, and I reckon Connor was in plenty of people's minds. I thought he might be able to shed a bit of light on the answer there for us. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure how many minds I've been inside now. But <laughs> <laughs> how do you balance that all? Um, yeah, look what I suppose. Um, I think you just have to have a very very good balance I suppose really and um, you know you go through different periods where I think during the course of the inter-county season you're probably you know this year I, I would have picked up a few minor niggles and stuff and I was kind of told kind of to stay away from the desk you know for from prolonged periods of time so you're just trying to manage that I suppose really and you know obviously when you have your downtime then you can spend longer hours studying in the library and stuff like that so yeah I suppose I'm lucky in a way that I have you know I, I think I've been very vocal as not having the GA as your sole identity and having different different outlets and stuff like that. So, you know, in terms of I'm just heading out to Australia this evening, going out to the AFL and seeing how they, I suppose, look after uh, look after players in terms of their well-being and stuff like that. So, it's just nice to have, I suppose, different different interests and hobbies like that as well. So, if you're going for a look at what the AFL do. Are you going to see what the GA could do better, or do you think they do everything? Um, well, my you see my yeah. So I'm looking at GA student athletes specifically and how they balance basically 40 hours of academia with another 20 to 30 hours of sporting commitments between travel and gym sessions and pitch sessions. So I, I suppose there's like I've done some research on Australia and they have I suppose rookie contracts and stuff like that. So. I've had a look at the rugby and I've been chatting to people in Connacht and stuff like that. So they obviously have, I suppose, programs there and they they put a major emphasis on helping their their younger players coming through to become educated because I think 95% of rugby players don't make enough of a living to live off of for the rest of their life. So I suppose as part of my PhD, I'm looking at is there any programs that are out there that specifically, I suppose, have been successful or is there anything that maybe I could try and incorporate into my PhD that I suppose I looked at the Australian Institute of Sport and um, yeah they, they have a lot of policies for I suppose helping players become educated and stuff like that so 
just kind of looking to see what they do and see is there anything around welding they do and stuff like that so there's a lot of discussion around player burnout in terms of the amount of matches so it's physical burnout but would you be concerned then that they were going to reach a stage or were edging towards it where there might be mental fatigue and mental burnout particularly on younger players coming in not only into the inter-county scene but some high standard club players as well I definitely think so yeah I like I definitely look at where it's gone now particularly with younger players um, you know there's every sort of player is on a development panel at this stage you know, he could be carrying 90 players on a development panel at some stage. And I just think, you know, I've just kind of noticed that I suppose players are coming to the age of 18 and 19 and, you know, packing it up really. You know, 17 to 19 year olds are the highest rate of dropout across um, sport in Ireland. And I, I think it's coming down to overkill really. I think, you know, there's there's any amount of S&C and there's any amount of, gym sessions and running sessions and you know there's never seems to be you know they they I think for myself and this is only anecdotally coming through as a young lad it was all about playing the game and enjoying it and I think you know I I just not so sure where it's going really um particularly at younger age groups where obviously there's the way the game has gone it's gone very physical and there's a major emphasis put on S&C but um I think sometimes it is overkill and I think you know enjoying your sport at whatever age you are, I think that's the most important thing of all. And if you if you don't enjoy what you do, I think, you know, I think that's a very very sad thing, really. I suppose, to be honest. When you say eighteen or nineteen is the biggest point for for drop out, I only thinking of myself sitting here. I was eighteen when I chose to be a jockey over playing football and rugby, or they had to go because I was going into riding. But that was a decision I made at eighteen. When I look at it now, even with my daughters who are much younger again, and I see the competition with every sport playing over on top of each other, are we making them choose too young and then they've, they're have they fed up of it at 18, 19? Could that be a part of it? Yeah, I'm not, like, I'm not sure. Obviously, I know, like, I, I definitely think that playing as much sport as you possibly can when you're younger is, is definitely really, really important. And obviously, as you said, there comes an age where I suppose you have to decide. Um, but I, I just, I'm not sure. I think, I just think the whole view on it is is almost um, is almost on winning at all costs. Um, whereas I think if you're looking at it in terms of what's the best chances of me keeping these people playing, is it really S and C for four or five times a week? Is it really, you know, running sessions and stuff like that? Like, is is that really what? Like they say that there's a young kid inside every person that everyone just wants to play the game like and I definitely think for me anyways it's always been about enjoying it and look at that doesn't mean that there's not suffering along the way and tough days and stuff like that but I think if your focus is always on enjoying it as much as you possibly can I think that's what keeps you going and that's what keeps you coming back whereas if you feel like it's a, a tough slog all the time I think it's very very difficult for, for people to stay going I think it, if I'm a young kid and particularly going to college and, you know, you're starting to, I suppose, make friends and stuff like that and you're having to choose between am I going to stay in tonight or am I going to go out and enjoy myself? And I, I just think it's probably an no-brainer, really, why, why, why younger people are kind of falling away from it, really, I suppose. You've seemed to master the, the work-life balance, which is something I think many people are still trying to, to figure out. If you were coming through now if you were kind of one of those younger hurlers do you think you'd, you'd be able to cope personally 
Um, like the season was also very different. Like when I came through, so like we used to get November and most of December off, and you'd obviously be out socialising in college. And I suppose you kind of accepted that the second semester, which is after January, that that you didn't like. You know that's gone. Like, but you kind of were guaranteed to get a semester in college, and I think that was enough really to like for you to enjoy yourself and then go back. And you know, obviously, I was was part of a group that was competing. You know in Leinster and competing for Ireland. So, you know, I was I was very, very privileged. But um yeah, I think I think it is de- I think it definitely would be harder now and, you know, some of the research looked at some some players have played for five teams between playing for your under twenties club and county, being on a senior intercounty panel, um, then on your senior club side and then your Fitzgibbon or your Sigerson. So like that's five teams, five different masters over the course of twelve months. So like I think that's I, I think that's tough for any person, I suppose, really. So yeah, look at it. I suppose I'm happy to be I suppose out of that now and just being with your club and your county and um it's obviously easier to to manage, I suppose, really. Obviously, you have a direct interest in this and, and we've mentioned kind of what you have studied and, and what you're focusing on. Is this something that is talked about amongst intercounty players? Is this something that is, is is a conversation that is being had even with your own club, Canvara, or with your own teammates at Galway? Um, yeah, like we would have, we would have found it very hard to, to I suppose, keep players around um, in my local club. Like we've, I'm heading down to Australia here, and there's four lads from my primary school class alone, four of my good friends that are gone, and they all would have played hurling so I suppose there's different challenges in terms of that and then the inter-county is almost you know it's heading to different levels all, all the time and we're seeing I suppose people heading to I suppose feeling that the demands are higher and seeing Austin Leeson and the light step away you know that's I suppose that's that's very very sad I suppose for the sport really you know he's he's obviously a major talent and there's lots of others I know, I know Chris Crummy is out in Australia at the moment as well and Paulie Foley from Wexford so yeah I suppose that would kind of indicate that I suppose there is there is that problem there, and you know I was chatting to Shane O'Donnell there at the weekend, and he hasn't played the league in the last two years, and I suppose he's he's put his form down to that, and felt that his freshness and hunger is I suppose you know coming back in March, and I suppose not not every player would be able to do that, but um, it definitely it's definitely interesting to to hear I suppose people's different different views on it. I suppose really, your view just reading Don Log Cusack and. Uh... RT website earlier and he's feeling of the way Hurling is going you seem to think that lads are playing too many games he thinks that growing the game needs to be made even bigger how do you even contemplate amalgamating the two of those theories together yeah look at I suppose people will have different views on it and uh, like I think Don Logs is coming from the stance of the five counties that they're talking about not giving them any league uh, which I think is so wrong and I think that's very very unfair and I think Look, I think there's probably a happy medium somewhere. I like. I'm not so sure the split season is working as well as people say it does. Um, like I know, seen on the ground, the likes of Connor Cooney and Shane Cooney that are basically going around the clock for 12 months straight. Um, yeah, look, I suppose I think I think personally speaking that the round robin could be tweaked a bit. I think there could be more of a gap there just to allow, I suppose, players to to even take some downtime after one of the games and head out and look at like some of the best. I suppose times I've had is going out after a game after getting a win from a championship game of hurling with with your friends and I think I think the round Robin has kind of taken that away to be honest um, 
and then obviously there's the league as well which is yeah, I suppose is not being treated with the respect I think it deserves at the moment because teams are looking at their own robin and saying that they can't afford to go as as hard really I suppose um, so I think there's small things to tweak there but I think overall I think Hurland's in a pretty pretty decent place I just think I think uh, third level student athletes really are I suppose a group that needs to be looked after I suppose really well, I think it's a great game still to watch anyway. And Connor, thank you so much for taking our call. You're obviously in the airport heading for Australia. I hope you have a short flight to Dubai. I'd imagine you're on, are you? Uh, Doha. 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 Not so bad. Are you going yeah. up market Qatar Airlines? <laughs> <laughs> Enjoy yourself, Connor. Um, and right, thanks a million for taking our call. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back with soccer. Game on on Two FM. Now, Alan Colley and Stephen Kelly have joined us to chat football ahead of Ireland against New Zealand tomorrow and what could be Stephen Kenny's last game in charge of Ireland. For James McLean, it will be his last game for Ireland for his international retirement. He spoke very open and very honestly with RT Sports' Tony O'Donoghue earlier today. Well, I can tell you one thing for sure. It's not because of my body anyway. still feel fat. I still feel like I can produce the level required to play at the national level. In fact, I still believe that I'm the best person for the role. But the reason for calling it a day now is there's other factors involved. And, you know, I just feel like now is the right time for me to go out on my terms. I feel great body-wise. You know, people speak about the, how strenuous is the, the championship is on the body. and. Played 46 games out of 46 games last season in the Championship. 45 of them were starts. My stats, ability wise, backed that up. I was the, for fullbacks, uh, I was the second in the whole league for goals and assists. For successful tackles, I was top of the whole league. So playing 90 minutes Saturday, Tuesday, and my output never dipped. So it's definitely not a body or a body thing, but I just feel there's other factors now have brought me to this decision. Did you choose to retire from Republic of Ireland then? Because there's certainly a challenge ahead of Stephen Kelly mm-hmm. or whoever the next manager might be. It was my choice. I. It's not because I don't feel they've got the ball they do anymore. Like I haven't, I haven't changed that much as a player. I don't feel, I don't feel like. So James, if if you can still do the job, if your body can mm-hmm. do the job, if you feel you can play 46 games a season and maybe half a dozen or more mm-hmm. internationals. Oh, I, 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 I could do that easily. I'm not. That's that, like I said to me. That's, that's not the issue. Feeling great in yourself, but being made to feel great is two different things. Every player wants to feel important, and that's one of the factors in why I decided now is the right time to time to walk away. Did you feel you were disrespected by not being involved in recent squads? I wouldn't say disrespectful. Obviously, like I've made my debut Tony, and I got my first call on 19th February. 2012, and I've been named in every single squad up until last month. So that 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 hurt. That had hurt. Um, if I was still at Wigan, would I have been called up? I think I would have. I think the whole perception of League Two. I think it's disrespectful. But look, that's 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 with, me speculating. If you were with Derry City, because you often talk about maybe finishing mm-hmm. your career with Derry, would you have been called up? I don't think so. No, I don't think so. No, I think the the perception. Is different from the reality at times. We have a squad at Wrexham where I believe is better than the squad at Wigan. But because Wigan's in a, a higher league, I believe if I was still Wigan, I would have got called up. Alan, is his consensus on the perception correct? 
It's an interesting interview, Ruby, because I suppose we were all of the view from the outside that this was an agreement that was made a few months back and this was going to be his final swan song to be obviously play out against New Zealand and go out in his terms. To hear him say all this stuff now, tonight, on the eve of that game, it sounds like it's almost like he has a few scores to settle with. In, in, and I don't mean in terms of with Stephen and, and having an argument with Stephen, uh, but just from the pa- fact that he sounds as though he's really annoyed that he wasn't picked in the two squads uh, previous to this one. He obviously got called into the Netherlands game late in the day, but he was left out of the last couple of squads and he feels as though um, he shouldn't have been and it wasn't justified. And he's more or less saying there he could still do the role. So... It's not all adding up in terms of, I suppose, what we were hearing initially and now what James is saying. Now, he did mention the fact that it's for personal reasons as well, so uh, I'm not too sure uh, what what that is referring to, but obviously maybe the family and stuff uh, and the age that he's at, but certainly in terms of the football aspect of it, he certainly feels as though he's still capable of being in the squads and doing the job. Yeah, Stephen Kelly, I I don't know about you, but I was bit surprised to hear him speak so openly and so honestly and I know that's probably saying a lot for, for James McLean but would you agree in terms of I know he's playing with Wrexham they might have a better squad than, than Wigan but at the end of the day it's the lowest tier of, of league football and that's the opposition we're up against Yeah it's the level you're playing at um, is James still capable of playing the championship level I'd say yes um, is he as he dropped down for whatever reason he's gone to to Wrexham and that then is going to that that decision he's made to go to that club is going to have a knock-on effect of where, where your international career lies I think um, regardless of your ability the level you're playing at is going to kind of dictate where your pecking order is in the squad um, and that's I suppose a personal decision he made to go to Wrexham and that then has a knock-on effect of where his international career is but you know James when it comes to fitness and attitude and 110% every game you can't you can't fault him and every game is played for Ireland he's left it on the pitch and I think you can do it on <laughs> to, uh, for, for the foreseeable future and um, whether he's as good in the role as other players you know at the moment there's the left wing back role that, that position is this, you know if we're looking for an attacking player if we're playing a, a winger I would say no if we're playing a left wing back he'll offer you defensive stability he'll offer you going forward but it's, I'm flabbergasted with that interview. Genuinely, I cannot. I, can, I I'm going really that. So this is not his decision. This is not based on what he wants to do. This is that he seems to be disgruntled with the fact that he wasn't picked in the squad and was left out of it. Um, and listen, again, you get to a point in your career where you get left out, and it hurts. It really hurts, especially. But James has been given a bit more of a. The fact he's been given a swan song, the fact he's been brought back to play a game to say goodbye to the fans is a lot more than what other players get. It's a lot more than I got. And not, you know what I mean? So it's he's in a very nice position to be able to walk out on his terms to some extent. Certainly uh, will be interesting. Um, I'm assuming he's going to captain Ireland tomorrow yeah, in, yeah, in, in his yeah. final game. Um, one man that might get a bit of game time is... Uh, Andy Moran. Uh, before we get your thoughts, Alan and Stephen, here's Jim Crawford speaking on Andy Moran's inclusion. I think a player of Andy Moran's ability, he's always going to be there or thereabouts with the senior team. And we knew that in the last window when he was uh, called up for um, the senior team. Unfortunately, he got injured. Straight away when we came into camp for this particular window, we knew that there was a lot of players awaiting scan results with the senior team. And, and you're sort of, in one way, you're hoping that he stays. But for the player himself, you know, I, I broke the news to him. He was, he was certainly overjoyed. But you know, to lose anybody of of Andy's quality in any type of game, any team would would feel it. But the bigger picture is, look, it gives players at under twenty ones level an opportunity to to show that they can play at this stage, and it also gives 
Andy a chance now to sort of bet him into the senior team. I've no doubt, look, he'll play against New Zealand. I'm not picking the team. That's that's Stephen's job. But look, I, I certainly think he'll, he'll gain his first international cap. You only have to look at the games he's played at Blackburn. He's he's been excellent. Um, he's he's very well thought of. It, it is what it is. It's as soon as Andy was gone, he's gone from most of twenty ones. We need to concentrate. We got Adam Murphy in, and we need to get our heads down. And you know, we walked in the first game against Norway, and obviously this game uh, tomorrow against Italy is it's it's a huge game for us. Still think it was the wrong decision, Alan. A hundred percent, a hundred percent, Ruby, and he'll play it tomorrow. He'll get his first cap, but it's not the right thing for me. Um, what benefit will it do playing in a half-empty stadium tomorrow against a team that New Zealand? Who? How, how interested will they be in it? How interested will our players be in it? Uh, whereas he could be playing against Italy in a proper match tomorrow night, um, a qualifier that will obviously have some bearing on whether to qualify for the tournament to twenty ones. And my argument on this, Ruby, it's not everybody. The only case I'm getting back at me is people saying oh well it's the senior team and, and the 21s and the underage teams are a stepping stone I get all that absolutely and it is about the senior team and developing um, players and bringing them through to obviously establish themselves in the senior team but this is a separate scenario in the sense that that was a dead rubber on Saturday night Andy Moran was going to make no difference on Saturday night whether he played whether he didn't play whether he came on for five minutes he was never going to start the game we obviously seen he never even came on in the game so he was much needed it was more uh, of a, of um, prominence to be for him to be a Norway playing in that match. Then you flip it over. Now here we are, obviously the night before the New Zealand game. As I say, he's going to get capped tomorrow, whether he starts, whether he comes on. But he should be down in Italy. His caps will come. Andy Moran's a brilliant player, and he's going to go on to have a fantastic future. But my argument on on this is the fact that it was a dead rubber on Saturday night, a Mickey Mouse friendly tomorrow, and there was far more important games. And if they were to qualify the twenty ones and get themselves to a major tournament, the knock on that would have effect for all those individuals involved at a major tournament would be unbelievable for our senior team going forward. But they haven't given themselves the chance we are going to continue our football chat tomorrow Alan Colley, Stephen Kelly apologies football has got pushed it's usually other sports uh, that is where we end it big thanks to Andrew Laura Lee Ruby thank you Andrew O'Connor was uh, this evening's producer Better the Silva is up next so do stay tuned to 2FM